What up artists? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm the creative director and founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. This is the Art Pays Me podcast and I'm passionate about finding ways that people like you and me can make a living for ourselves off of our creativity and you know maybe we can make the world a better place at the same time. Let's get into it. Welcome to Art Pays Me. Today I have Paul Chin. So Paul, let the people know what you do. Hey, how's it going? Uh, my name is Paul Chin. I'm a musician. Uh, I first and foremost, I'm a lover and endless student of music. And that is just a thing that manifests in the way that I make music, the way that I perform music, the way that I think about music. Um, yeah, so I live in Toronto, uh, operate as a producer and DJ, um, sometimes songwriter. And yeah, that's that's really what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> Yo, I was checking out one of your mixes the other day, actually. That it was it was a vibe, man. I thank you, thank it. you. Which one was it? Uh, uh you're gonna put me on the spot and I can't remember what it is. It was whatever the latest one is on uh your site. Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, okay, we'll figure it out later. Or, you know, the people can go to my website and, and check it out for themselves. Yeah, I couldn't remember what it was. I can't check out this mystery mix that's a vibe. <laughs> no, okay, so I was wondering, like, it has, like, little vocal po- points in there. Are those pieces, because I didn't even recognize most of the songs. So, mm-hmm. it was like, are those pieces from the songs or... Are those like little vocal things that you're adding in yourself? Um, yeah, I guess it would depend on <laughs> what mix we're talking about. Um, there are okay. Well, let's let's figure out <laughs> let's figure out what this mix is right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oof! I'm just knocking my own microphone. Um, but yeah, most of the time when I like record just a DJ mix, I try to keep it as much about the music as possible try not to go in too much and add too much like extra to it because um yeah just like there's a lot of really great music there's you know and when i'm djing i like to have a lot of fun with it i like to uh really kind of like study the music figure out what are really interesting things that people have been doing with the songs and uh in the production and what can i tie that into uh, in, you know, the next song that I'm going to play or another song or an overall theme. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, that kind of speaks to that, that nerdiness, uh, and studious attitude I kind of take toward music. Uh, cause I know how hard people work at it. So I want to make sure that that's like honored and respected and really shines through in anything that I'm doing where I might be presenting someone else's art. Got you. So I found it. It was the Serato cast mix 72. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, that one was, uh, yeah, that one was a mix that I did for, uh, Serato shout out to, uh, Matt shout out to OP, the whole gang. Um, yeah, so that one was one that I just really wanted to kind of go through and just play some songs I was really loving, you know, that year and, uh, really just get as eclectic as, as I like to, because, um, I consider myself an open format DJ. Like I started learning to DJ kind of like as a, in the tradition of hip hop, but, um, you know, like hip hop has so much connection and so many roots to so many other things, you know, be it via sampling, be it via, you know, crossover appeal, be it via, uh, various collabs with other people who work in different sectors. Um, and so that's kind of how I, really came up uh DJing as if every song was a rap song Mm -hmm. uh but you know playing a wide variety of music yeah that's so trying to make those connect make those connections that's crazy because like I was gonna say that like I can sense it feels hip-hop the way you're putting things together but like the music isn't necessarily hip-hop usually yeah in every case so yeah Music's really fun when you when you stop and and you know decide to just kind of like learn about it. Right. Yeah. I actually I'm a graphic designer, so I sometimes I think of DJs as like 
music's equivalent to a graphic designer because like, yeah. you're taking these found pieces and you're putting them together in an interesting way to make something new. That's exactly it. I, I look at like my production sessions in Ableton, the way that I look at like, uh, like my layers palette in Photoshop or illustrator, right? Yeah. Like it's a, it's just putting things in the right places in the right proportions uh, so that the flattened image that you get at the end of it is, you know, the thing you intended, right? Like it's a beautiful and coherent uh, uh, end product or end production. Mm, right, right. So you grew up in Toronto, uh, am I correct? No, I grew up in the Cayman Islands, although I have spent my entire adult life in Toronto. So, you know, you're not wrong. <laughs> shout, shout out to the island boys, man. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in Bermuda. so Oh, tight, uh, tight. Yeah, actually, Cayman is oftentimes compared to Bermuda in terms of like the, uh, you have the, um, the international business connects and all that. Mm-hmm. Because Whenever I remember growing up, like you guys are always told, we always told that that's our competition for, <laughs> for them. Uh, <laughs> really? Because we never talked about you at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, them them guys is trying to take us, compete with us for that dirty U.S. money. It's <laughs> such a it's such a weird thing, and I've only only as an adult have I come to realize nothing about what I knew of my experience growing up, nothing about it makes any sense. Mm. It's always been this weird thing where it's like, oh yeah, you, you know, you grew up in a small place and you think, uh, you know, largely speaking, your entire world for the most part, like on a day-to-day level is just everything on this island, right? Like everything within this very confined landmass, right? And mm. you think that that's, that's you know your own thing and it's like okay cool so we're our own place we have our own culture we're all of these other things and then you know as you grow up and you get older and you realize that uh you know the fact that the fact that uh you know we are like one hour's flight away from miami it was like that's that's not a thing that's lost on on people right that's a that's a thing that has been fully capitalized upon by the tourism sector, the business sector, all these other things. Right. Um, and so now I, I, you know, think back about like Cayman and I, you know, visit often still, my family's still there. Um, but yeah, I, I walk around, I'm like, wow, this place makes no sense. I have no idea how anything is real here because everything is, uh, everything is kind of like subject to, the almighty, you know, power and influence of international tourism uh, and people who come in and are here for, you know, between a business day and a week or two. um, And everything is kind of subject to their whims and making them happy and making, you know, and accommodating them and, you know, their desires and their fantasy of this like tropical island getaway wherein, you know, everything is perfect and the weather is nice and everything is you know addressed and catered to you um and it's like well that's actually not real life and so how does all the other stuff get done how do roads get paved and how do you know schools get built and managed and how does that like sustain itself Mm. so yeah i mean post-colonial you know caribbean tourism all these things i think about that stuff a lot because I, yeah, I just have very complicated feelings around it. No, it, it is kind of crazy because people often ask me sometimes, I think, I think they're a little curious how I'm so well-versed in North American culture and why my accent's so weak. And it's like, when you got U.S. tourists, tourists like around you all the time, you got the British influence, you got other island influence, mm-hmm. you know, we were two hours away from New York. So it's like the though you just can't shake it you grow up yep. canadian and american tv it's just <laughs> yeah for better or worse um my experience of growing up was uh very americanized um and yeah i mean i think in some regards like i i 
I'm very thankful for that because, you know, that's like how I was getting like hip hop and, you know, uh, staying up on like, you know, North American pop culture during the 2000s, which was probably like in my, you know, of course, experience, one of the most fun and dynamic and vibrant times yeah. uh, in music. Uh, and to just be like a bystander of that um, was a great blessing and honestly a significant contributor to the way that I would develop as an artist and the way that I would think about things and the things that I would be like, uh, have like a fondness for, right? As yeah. I kind of develop my own voice creatively. Um, but then I also think about that and I'm like, well, you know, as much attention or as much uh, uh, occupancy as like, you know, these these foreign styles of music and art and culture uh, have taken up in my brain and in my own sort of like sense of self uh, as, a, as a creator, how much of that has really displaced, you know, my own, my own local culture, right? Like mm. uh, how much of that has displaced my own sort of like uh local sense of uh sense of like culture and communal sort of like investment in in learning these things yeah. um so yeah i've only like recently just felt comfortable enough to start making stuff that like has like a reggae or dance hall kind of influence to it and still taking that and making it feel more like myself as a person who is like now living in uh, North America and, you know, travels the world and, you know, consumes culture and, and art and, and the different voices and styles of artists from all over the world. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think about the fact that I actually really don't like Soka that much, <laughs> which, which is frankly blasphemous amongst, <laughs> amongst a lot of my peers and a lot of my friends who still, you know, live back home. And they're like, what, what do you mean you don't like Soka? I was like, yeah, I feel like, by the time Dead or Alive came out in 2005, I was like, cool, this is the last song. This is the last Soka song. This is the best one. And I've got it from here. Mm. And that's just, and that's actually just how I feel. <laughs> right, right. I'm kind of like, I, I never, I like Soka shows, but I'm not really into Soka like that. And I kind of had the same situation with Dancehall. I just, there was a year that I just stopped listening to it and I was all hip hop from, from then on. And, uh, yeah, it's it's funny because like dance hall and all kinds of like different flavors of reggae, uh, you know, from like roots and dub and all this other stuff, like that stuff kind of circulates in and out of my in and out of my like radius or my consciousness, like every couple of years, like, you know, every or even like every couple of months. Yeah. And I'll just go through a phase where I'm like, yeah, I'm like really nostalgic for this or really feeling this and really wanting to dive deeper into what else is out there, what else is going on. Cause there's always something else to learn or discover. And then I'm like, cool. Yeah, I, I, I got it. I think I'm good. I'm going to go back to something with an 808 right now. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like it just doesn't really happen for me with Soka. And mm -hmm. I wish I knew why I wish I, I wish I knew why I wish I could understand why. Um, yeah, like I, I, one of my oldest and like my actual oldest friend in the world, I uh, just got married in December and I was home and I DJed the wedding and, uh, a big part of it was like, oh yeah, I really want to, you know, make sure that she and, you know, her bridal party and all, you know, our friends and our peers have a good time. But more than anything, I actually wanted to make sure that her parents had a good time because, um, they are probably the most important people in the world to me who are not my parent, my own parents. Yeah. Um, as far as like uh, my own like development and upbringing as like an artistically inclined child. Mm -hmm. um, so shout out uh, Mr. Henry and Miss Marcia Mutu. Uh, yeah. I just really want to make sure that they had a great time. And I like hit her up and hit up uh, her sister and we're like, Hey, I need to know what are, what's your dad's favorite song? What are your parents' favorite songs? I need to know what they are because I want to make sure that I can play those. And, and yeah, it was like, obviously a lot of like old Calypso. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, okay, okay. All right. So I got to figure out how, like, obviously I'm going to play these songs, but I got to figure out how I can 
incorporate them into my set and really kind of make them feel like this isn't just the block of the of the evening where I just play these songs um where I just kind of drop these songs as like a okay here you go I'm delivering what you asked for before I get back to what I really want to do Mm -hmm. um yes but I I really wish that I had more of an of an intuition or like a inclination for that stuff naturally because I know a lot, it's important to a lot of people and, and I honor and respect that. And I, and I know that it's important to a lot of people who are like me, right? Like who are, you know, West Indian or of the West Indian diaspora and all of this stuff. And I know that, you know, these are musical traditions that mean something to people and come out of very, very rich histories. And, and, and I, and I just wish that that, I wish that, somehow I could make that mean more to me in the way that, you know, other stuff does. Right. But I don't beat myself up over it too much because I also know that, well, you know what, like, you know, the entire Neptune's catalog of production means so much to me and it doesn't mean anything to a lot of people or like, you know, the, the life and career and legacy of Jay Dilla means so much to me. Uh, and it doesn't mean anything at all to a lot of my friends and a lot of other people who are like close to me and, you know, would self-identify as like rap fans, right. Or like beat production fans and that stuff like, you know, doesn't really resonate with them in the same way. So I, I acknowledge that, you know, not everything, not everything makes it all the way to your heart. So. Yeah. Yeah. So like in terms of production, I, I actually did pick up some Dilla influence in your beats. You're, you're, um, so you're not just a DJ, you're also a producer. I always, I always wondered this about like producers in your situation. Like how difficult is it to clear samples or do you clear samples at this stage? Uh, so clearing samples, uh, that is, and in, that is more than a TED talk. That's an entire semester <laughs> at a prestigious Ivy League university. Um, so clearing samples. I have never formally cleared a sample before. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, I am unimportant enough that that has not mattered to people. Like nobody is checking for my band camp to find my old beats and be like, hey, <laughs> wait a second this is we didn't get a check for this um it's not a thing that i've done and largely because nobody really teaches you how to do that there's not a very clear path to that or anything like that there's just not anything that's readily available or a single um i think process that is widely known and shared and disseminated amongst people in terms of how to do that, um, which is really frustrating because, you know, I would clear samples if I could, or I would at least attempt. And I, and I have made an attempt once. I have made an attempt once to clear a sample and it, uh, I won't say who the artist is or what the song is, um, but I did actually reach out to this person's manager after doing like months and months of digging around and truly too much, too much labor to find the business contact for this person. Right. Um, So first and foremost, like me, a person with all the best intentions to actually do right by this artist or, you know, their, this, these rights holders, I'm actually trying to do this and all the information that I need in order to even attempt this is so obscured and hidden away and and kind of like kept at arm's length Mm. and that's really frustrating and of course it's no wonder that like a whole generation of like soundcloud kids just would never give a damn about it right yeah Um, you know we're and we're an entire generation of of artists who um are largely self-taught. We learn to do everything ourselves. We, you know, thrive on the quickness of just being able to just do something yourself and do it quickly. And you have the access to the raw materials to do that, which is, you know, the recordings that you then, you know, chop up and loop and warp and whatever you want to do to it. Um, 
And then when it comes time to actually do the, so the music, doing the music is super easy. Doing the business next to impossible for most people. So people just don't. Um, but yeah, so I found this person's manager and then I reached out to them and fortunately they were, you know, they responded and were like, Hey, so, um, thanks for reaching out. Uh, you know, what you're looking for is, uh, this person who administers their publishing at such and such, you know, large label publishing arm. Um, but I'm just going to forewarn you, it's probably going to be expensive and you know, they might not respond to you. And I was like, Mm. well, you know, that, that is fine. And I'm sure both of those things are true. And one of them was at least conclusively in that they didn't respond to me. Mm. Um, But to this day, I have no idea how much money it would have been to clear the sample. Right. And I'm just kind of like, well, do you, do you not want my money? I don't know that I have it, but if I did, you by you not taking my emails or what have you, you're just sort of like your money's unimportant because yeah. you know, we can't, you're the thing that you've made ha- has not been, I don't know, commercially viable enough or large or made enough news. Basically it's like nobody wants to help you clear a sample until such time as it's time for them to collect on back owed royalties for you because you didn't clear the sample. Right. right. And that's wildly frustrating. So largely speaking, I've just stopped using samples. Mm. So you just, you, you, uh, you find a ways to create your own songs and, and. Yeah. I mean, I'm a classically trained musician. I've been in music. I was in music lessons my entire like childhood, oh, okay. like age four through 17 when I left home. Um, I had, I always had formal music lessons. And so like, I know how to play instruments, plural. I know how to like play different styles of music, plural. And I continue to study and learn and teach myself and develop those skills to this day. But that said, again, there's a whole generation of kids who didn't have that, right? Like that's the, and that's the basis of hip hop, right? It was like a generation of kids who didn't have access to expensive instruments or expensive music lessons or what have you. And so they just started making it because they were just so creative and just so uh, inventive and ingenious. They, you know, took what they did have, which was, you know, their parents' record collections and, you know, you know, they'd pool up money or sometimes like borrow and steal you know, sampling equipment and all this other stuff. And you just like make whatever you would make um, with what you had available. And that's such a beautiful thing about art, which is that that's how it happens. That's how it happens largely. Or in fact, all of the time you make what you make with what you have available. And sometimes you have, you know, privilege and money and materials and training and all these things available. And sometimes you just have an ear. Mm-hmm. sometimes you just have a really good ear and you know an internet connection or a library card yeah so oh. so speaking of people who did check for you you got nominated for a polaris award am i correct uh kind of sort of so i produced on uh shad's last album a okay. short story about a war uh which did get nominated for a polaris so I am not a Polaris nominated artist, but I am a Polaris nominated producer. By proximity, you you were by proximity, and I'll <laughs> and I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I'm very I'm very proud of that work. Um, I'm very proud to like have been on that album and been in the company that I was. You know, Rich Kid produced on that album, Tilo, oh. Toolman, K Trinata. Um, so, you know, the fact that I'm also on there amongst these people who are all great and seasoned producers. Um, yeah, I feel I feel very proud about that. And I mean, that's I'm going to I'm going to, you know, bang that on my chest to the day I die. Yeah. Shad is dope, too. Like that's so that's that's good. Yeah. Big ups to the homie. Yeah. So uh, I noticed you had a five year lapse between you've got your new album called Full Spectrum coming out. And yeah, five years between your last release. What was up with the the break? 
Oh man, uh, a lot. <laughs> so yeah, like if you if you check the discography prior to that, you know, 2012 through 2015, I was dropping at least one uh, project a year. Mm-hmm. And then 2015 hit and a lot of things happened um, kind of in basically in the span of uh, like March of that year to June, just my whole life turned upside down mm-hmm. um, in that, you know, like I was signed to a label at the time for that last record and uh, just like the entire press rollout of, of that project just uh, evaporated and combusted because, you know, people are unreliable and the music industry is a cold and savage place sometimes. Mm. Um, and on top of that, my immigration status uh, was expiring and my application to become a permanent resident at that time had been rejected um, largely because uh the system does not favor a diverse uh range of employment um as much as they'd like to think they do um or at least did not at the time i have no idea what the application process is like now because i'm pretty sure it changed at least twice uh in the time like bit well between the time i applied and between and when i actually got my uh rejection mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so like I had to move back home. I was back home in Cayman for like nine months. I was also planning a wedding because I'd gotten engaged that that year as well. Um, and so, yeah, like with all of that going on and then on top of that, like, you know, my record just kind of flopping um, and just under delivering and underperforming in pretty much every way. I was like, you know what? I I need a break and I need to do something else. And I need and I'm not going to stop doing music. I just need to do it differently. Mm. Um so yeah, in the time between 2015 and now, uh a lot of that time was spent, you know, making myself available to collaborate with the friends I never had time to collaborate with, to make all kinds of different musical projects um for different applications so like i you know was doing like theme songs and doing music for video games and uh licensed some music for television and um was also just really making a bunch of different styles of music and trying different things out and again like in full student mode again really right yeah i was like okay so i don't have the pressure the self-imposed pressure of having to deliver another five six seven songs um in the next like year um so i can actually just take all this time and i can just be making all this music and not actually be burdened with the thoughts of like oh is this gonna work with all the other stuff is this gonna fit like does this sound like the same person made it does this follow up the last record well or all that stuff like i just didn't have to think about that the only thing i had to concern myself with was how do i feel about this song right now or how do i even feel about like the this song idea right now yeah and it was great it was super refreshing i did a lot of stuff uh i think just creatively and process wise that i had never done before right like there was a period where i just was exhausted of all the stuff i was listening to and gravitated toward listening to and i deleted all the music off my phone and instead i just kept i had one dilla album i had one madlib album and i filled the rest of it with just like movie and video game scores and anime scores and just like soundtracks and scores because wow. i was like you know all of this stuff is like all this stuff resonates with me i really love it but it resonates with me in a different context and in a different way than like music i listen to for listening sake finger quotes um it resonates with me in a different way than that stuff does um but it does all the same stuff right like it takes you from uh the top of a story to the end It has moments of uh, different moods and uh, energy and it, you know, it, and it does a lot of that stuff largely um, with 
this with a limited selection of instruments. Yeah. Um, and I was like, these are all things that I aspire to do in my production in every project that I make. And I'm, and I'm trying to just kind of like, I'm just kind of like fumbling through getting that stuff or like achieving those goals every single time when I have like this wide range of reference material uh, that I can just like study and really learn from and actually, you know, dissect and reverse engineer. Um, that was a really great time. Uh, you know, I was just like watching a lot of movies and TV shows and, you know, stuff that was set in different periods and, and also just picking up on the fact that, Oh yeah. Like music was just different at different times, right? Like people were largely listening to different things at different times and in different places. What are, what was going on in the seventies at like, you know, the, quote unquote death of disco and the advent of hip hop or what's going on like in the UK right now or what's going on uh, like in all these different sort of like musical traditions. And uh, yeah, it was like a really, really great and refreshing and rejuvenating and inspiring time for me. Um, and it's funny because like after the first year of that, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to make a new, a new record again. And I started doing that and I just was putting stuff away and not really kind of getting through it. And then the year after that, I was like, actually now I'm ready to start making a new record. And now I have a concept and I have like a sound that I want to go for and all this other stuff. And then I started doing that record and I made most of it. Um, and then I realized oh, this is actually very ambitious and probably too ambitious for somebody who has been away from releasing music for like two, three years at this point. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, I need to make something else before I can put this out or before I can finish this, before people will believe this music from this person. Um, and so then I was like, the year after that, okay, I'm going to start a new record now. Um, and that was kind of the first year where, you know, this, this start actually ended up following through and I, you know, moved slowly and I was doing all these different things and still, you know, collaborating on other things on the side or working with other people and doing things for different projects or, and still kind of like just making sure I was capturing ideas and recording stuff and keeping you know, references of whatever I've done in case I want to come back to it or pull from it to put into something else. Um, and also in that year, I, uh, that was the year that the Shad album came out. And that was also a year I was invited to this songwriting camp um, where, you know, I met some of the collaborators on this, on this project as well. So that's where I met Desiree, Dawson and Natasha Fisher, who also writes on Take It or Leave It. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so that was a period where I was you know, kind of thrust into a new opportunity to work with new people and start making new stuff and all this other stuff. Um, and then later that year, I had another thing. And then Rebecca Hawker, who is a friend of mine, and we like have made a ton of stuff together. Uh, we, you know, kind of just like threw two things at each other that were perfectly aligned for, you know, the last song on the project. And then I realized, Oh, I'll, all of this stuff that I've been doing, all this like practice in just like musical output and musical exploration that I've been doing, all of this stuff is great because it's helping me achieve the thing that I always set out to do in my music. Right. Which is, uh, carry you on a journey uh, you know, deliver different moments and different moods and different energies and, uh, yeah, just like really and sound cohesive. And all of that was happening because I'd spent the last couple of years just practicing music and developing my own voice and my own sound and like really becoming more confident in that so that it no longer had to be a thing that I had to specifically set out to do to make music that sounded like me, but it was just that now everything that I make just sounds like me because I made it, right? And because I made it as somebody who uh, now has been embedded in this practice of just making stuff, 
making stuff and exploring stuff and figuring out what you want to keep and what you don't want to keep. Right. And so, yeah, like I didn't set out to make uh, like a, a record that was largely features that just accidentally happened because that was like, I just ended up making so much of that music. I ended up making so much music with my friends and my loved ones. Um, And that stuff also inherently just fit together because it was coming from a place of confidence and comfort. So yeah, the thing that I like to tell people now is that uh, full spectrum full spectrum is named full spectrum because it feels like the first thing that I've ever made where I'm like actually painting with all the colors, right? Mm -hmm. Like painting with all the colors on my palette. Right. Um, So yeah, that's, that's, that's what I spent five years doing. (laughs) (laughs) Man. So important to, to just be able to be free of expectation. Yeah. Um, And it's funny because like this record is uh, already doing much better than a lot of other stuff that I've done before and put out before. And people are very excited about it. And, you know, I've been, I've been very intentional about like having the conversation around me making this thing uh, as I was making it and being very public about the fact that I was making it and working on it and still tune, you know, chipping away at it and fine tuning thing, because I think, there's kind of an instinct to just be like, okay, I'm in studio mode. I'm going to hide away from the world and I'm just going to disappear. And nobody's going to know where I am or what I'm doing or anything at all, or what I'm thinking about until I like emerge from this cave X number of months later with a finished thing that nobody else has seen or heard or, or talked about. And I think that that is a default instinct for a lot of people because you know, that's just what we see. We see that a lot. Right. Um, but this time I actually wanted to be like, no, let me, let me share this a little bit and let me share this in like controlled and specific settings because I didn't want to just be like out here leaking garbage demos that would like kind of taint anybody who was still listening at that point and just kind of taint their impression of what I was making. But I wanted to, include people who I trusted like both as like collaborators and other friends and other like friends in music um, and other friends of mine who just like also like, I think understand me and my motivations as an artist. And so I like, since I think maybe last May, I've just been inviting people over to my house and just being like, uh, yeah, let me play this for you. Um, and it wasn't done. And I've, and yeah, I would never have people back over necessarily to play for them again when I like finished other stuff. But I was just like, I want to play this for you because I trust you. Um, and I trust that you will understand what I'm, what I'm, what I'm working toward. Like enough, like there's enough laid down here that you can get a sense of the thing that I'm creating. Um, and I trust that you understand that, you know, there's more to be done here, but also that, you know, I'm excited about this, right? Like this is, this is a cool thing and it is different and it is um, bigger and badder than like everything else I've done before. And so it was really great and really refreshing to just have people over and just kind of one-on-one play this thing for them while it was still entirely just art and not yet a product. Ah. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. So, and, and like having done that, now I don't even think about this thing in this, in the terms of like, Oh, I'm releasing, I'm releasing it and finally like allowing it to breathe and come into the world or whatever. Cause I'm like, no, it's, it's been out here, right? Like some of these songs have been done longer than others. Some of them I've like been playing out in DJ sets and stuff. Um, like I've done a couple live shows uh, since last fall where I've like been playing uh like early versions or preliminary versions of like the live show that I now have kind of like fully designed and fully kind of like formed in my head and uh, like in, in reality around like the, this music. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like people have been hearing it, people have been like getting a sense for it in specific contexts. Uh, And I feel very relaxed about it because I'm like, 
yeah, like if this record again, like this record could like go absolutely plastic. Um, and, but I'd feel better about it because it will have already reached the people who are important to me, which are people who think critically about art, think, um, you know, think with a explorative imagination about art, think, you know, people who just like our heads, you know, people who yeah. dig into stuff, people who want to know more, people who are intrigued by a wide variety of things, even if, you know, it, it doesn't sound like anything else. And I don't think a lot of my stuff sounds like a lot. I don't think, I don't think this record sounds like a lot of stuff. No, it doesn't. Uh, or a lot of stuff that, you know, people are being exposed to uh, for the most part. I think it sounds like a lot of stuff in the sense that I draw from a wide variety of influences, but it doesn't sound like any one other thing. Um, no, I, I, which people, some people will be critical of this, but I guess in, in this day and age, it works in your favor. But I, I find that it's hard to put your finger on a genre for it. You know, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. People ask me, Oh, what, kind of music do you make and i'm like i'm not interested in having that conversation because mm -hmm. it will take it only takes you 20 minutes to listen to the whole thing front to back mm -hmm. so if you can put 20 minutes to just listen to it it's better than the 20 minutes i'm going to spend terrible like doing a terrible job of trying to explain to you what this music <laughs> is with words you know just listen just listen like i'm i'm going to spend 20 minutes just trying to put where like i'm basically just going to spend 20 minutes listing a bunch of genres that like inspired and like i listened to and referenced and you're still going to hear this thing and it's going to sound like none of them so you're going to feel like i wasted your time as well yeah so right. spend your 20 minutes just listening to it or we can spend another 20 minutes after you've listened to it and actually just talk about all that stuff right. from the position of people who now like have a shared language right mm -hmm. because you've heard it so right so in terms of like how you keep yourself like for me for like in terms of how you keep your business going for, as a music thing is it like the djing that sort of keeps you afloat on a regular basis and then you just you drop albums periodically no not at all i have a day job um you know, for now. Uh, <laughs> but I, I have a day job. Uh, you know, my wife also works. So again, like I come from a position of privilege and good fortune to be able to uh, balance things and, you know, balance the books on in, in that regard. Uh, while I do DJ and, um, you know, do production stuff elsewhere. Um, but I mean, and I think that that's like, one nice thing about that is that actually affords me the freedom to actually do stuff for free when I want to, when yeah. I just really, really want to do the thing. Um, and it's going to be very difficult or impossible to sort out the, the funds that I reasonably should have to get stuff going. Um, but it, I think if it's like an important enough opportunity or if, you know, it's an important enough, like, uh, entity or institution or organization or what have you that I'm contributing to, then I can actually, I actually just have the the freedom and the leverage to just be like, actually, you know what? Like, you know, if you really need it, then I'll do it for you. Yeah. Um, Cause I think this is important and I want, and I want you to have a good time and I want you to have a good ex musical experience as part of whatever this is. Um, but that said, I'm also just like, no, I, I really want to do just the music and I do want to like do more of that and uh, spend more time on that, which also means that, you know, I got, I have decisions to make around like how much time do I give to, you know, my day job and how much of my attention and efforts and mental capacity do I give to that? Um, and I mean, this is a thing that every like artist in Toronto on some level has to deal with, right? Because it's expensive to live here. Mm -hmm. um, it's difficult to, you know, just do life under the iron fist of capitalism. Yeah. But, you know, at some point, like you, 
also do want to give the appropriate attention and space to the art that you make because it is valuable and it should be, and it should be valued the same way that like quote unquote productivity is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, this year is going to be me spending a lot of time trying to get creative around how to make more opportunities for myself, make more time for the opportunities that I have and that I'm turning down or that I'm not able to like fully capitalize on. Um, Yeah. Just, you know, figuring out how to get like art pays me now, but I'm trying to figure out how to get art to pay me more and better. I feel like you're the the music me, man, because <laughs> I'm in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like that juggle, like that trying to, I, I have a full-time job as well. And it's like, um, yeah, trying to figure out how to get it to pay enough to, to do more of it is, is the, the ongoing struggle. Yeah. The attitude that I've taken for myself this year is really just like, I'm not asking anymore if my art is good enough. Like I know it is. No, it is. Yep. I know it is. And so now I'm just acting accordingly and trying to behave accordingly and set myself up so that I can continue to act accordingly and behave, behave accordingly. Um, yeah. Like there are so many that like the key to surviving in the music industry really and truly is not selling records. And it's not even necessarily just going on tour, but it is fine. It is the, like the completeness of all the weird and interesting and secret kind of ways that you can, that you can carve out like a check for yourself. Yeah. Right. Like there's, there's so many different ways to like actually monetize, uh, the music that you make beyond just like a direct exchange between like a consumer. Um, But yeah, it's, it really takes a lot of time and effort and um, attention to uh, a seek out those opportunities and B be ready for them when they, when they present themselves. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of like me doing research. I'm honestly like, every every night i come home and i'm just like doing research and i'm looking up okay who's representing this and who's doing that and who puts out this and how does this get done and what opportunities are there here uh is there something that's coming up is there something that's on the horizon that nobody's like really on yet uh Mm -hmm. and just like really trying to find all the different ways in which i can uh envision like the music that I make contributing to different experiences. Right. So that's a good way to, that's a good way to finish it up, man. I, I really love that. Uh, it's, you're right. Like hit, hit them in multiple angles, man. And, and uh, you never know which one's gonna, gonna hit. It's like, yeah, it really is a numbers game. Uh, the thing that I have discovered as a self, entirely self-managed artist which i hate by the way like i hate being a like a lot of people like to you know fly that flag and they're like yeah i do everything myself i like you know manage myself da, da, da. i actually hate that because i'm like i'm not a manager and i'm and i believe in hiring experts to do the things that they're experts in and i'm not an expert in this mm-hmm. but i have to do it um but yeah like the thing that i have learned as like a self-managed artist or what have you is that it like all the different parts of the operation will always just require the same number of man hours they require right like it's never going to take less than however many hours it takes to like get your visual set it's never going to take less than however many hours it takes to make the music it's never going to take less hours than it takes to send all the emails or all the cold calls or whatever yeah but if you don't have, and if you don't have a team and if you don't have like, you know, the agent and the manager and the publicist and the whoever else, right. And the engineer and all this other stuff, you just have to spend all that time yourself. Like those hours all just get stacked onto your workload. Yeah. So it really is a, a, a big job of uh, 
carving out the the runway to get all the stuff done so that you can do it well and so you can set it all up set yourself up for success in all the areas you actually you know intend to you know be visible in so so how can people get the album when can we get it okay so uh listen carefully I am at oh yeah Paul Chin on all the things that I'm on. So that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, what have you. My website is ohyeahpaulchin.com. Uh, if you use Apple Music, Spotify, Tidal, Deezer, whatever you use, uh, I'm just Paul Chin there. You'll see a picture of my smiling face on all of those platforms. Um, yeah, Full Spectrum comes out on March 20th and is available on Bandcamp right now for pre-order. You pre-order it, you can get the first single, which is Take It or Leave It, featuring Desiree Dawson. That's out now everywhere. Uh, if you want to follow me on Spotify, hit the fault, like actually hit the follow button, then you'll be notified on day one when it comes out. I got a link in my Instagram bio and other bios elsewhere. You can hit that and you can pre-save full spectrum so that it shows up in your in your Spotify on day one. Uh, I believe pre-save for Apple Music or pre-order for iTunes is supposed to hit Wednesday the, what day is it today? The Wednesday the 11th. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very out here, extremely online individual. Um, yeah, search, search me up. Paul Chin, I'm very Googleable. Uh, you'll know the one there are, there are a lot of don't Google image search cause you'll find a lot of other guys, but <laughs> you just search Paul chin. Yeah. You'll find, you'll find me. All right. Me. Paul it was a pleasure. I have a lot of things I could still talk to you about, but unfortunately uh, I got daddy duty right now. <laughs> so, All right. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Thank you for, for taking the time out to chat with me and yes. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Peace. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Arcade Me podcast. Thank you to Langey Beats for the theme music. If you got anything out of this show, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. The more you do this, the more reach the podcast gets, and the more artists I can help learn to make a living at what they love. If you want to know more about what I do, hit me up at artpaysme.com or at ArtPaysMe on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. See y'all next time.